Hello, I'm Christopher Kassan, and this is Ireland's Edge. On today's episode, the people have the power. While debates about social change often focus on government policy, all across Ireland there are citizens and volunteers taking it upon themselves to create the change that they want to see in their communities. At Ireland's Edge in Dingle, Warren Kelleher met three such inspiring people to hear their stories and to ask how we can better harness the creativity and commitment of citizens in addressing our social problems. Vidal Marouf came to Ireland from Syria five years ago and is now studying dentistry as a Quirkus Active Citizenship Scholar at University College Cork. Kevin Baker was the chairperson of the Dublin Cycling Campaign and Diddy Galvin, who joined us earlier in this series, is a local farmer here in Kerry. This is Dinny Galvin, um, the first of my guests, Fida and Kevin. And I suppose I had great fun in putting this panel together. And the idea that I wanted to explore was how I think there's three, uh, I suppose, three big ideas. Some of maybe a bigger, they're a subset of a bigger number of ideas that are going to be increasingly prominent in our society in the next 5, 10, 15 years. But before we get to that place where they are taken as business as usual or just common sense, there is a lot of work to be done on bringing innovation into our system. And uh, the three gentlemen who are gathered beside me are what I would consider citizen policymakers, citizen innovators, citizen policy contributors. None of them are full-time activists or engaged in NGOs or charity work. They all maintain other professional lives. Dini runs a farming enterprise here on the peninsula. Fida is studying in UCC at the moment for a dentistry degree. Kevin is a software engineer. And the three ideas, I suppose, that they're leading in with, um, the first, I suppose, two of them, all about how the challenges and the opportunities as we decarbonize our society. So taking maybe one of the first big ones, active travel, active mobility, you know, a more livable form of urbanism, I think that all forms a part of Kevin has recently um, retired at the very young and tender age that he's already retiring um, as chair of the Dublin Cycling Campaign. And he is going to talk to um, that experience. Uh, Dini, as I said, has a farming enterprise here on the peninsula. Uh, I should mention that Dini and I are tightly engaged on a number of other projects through our joint association with the hub. Um, but Dini is also a huge innovator here in the field in on-farm energy and in biodiversity and in, you know, diversification of the farming enterprise away from a more specialised kind of more industrial model of farming. And Fida has travelled the longest journey to be with us over his lifetime. Um, Fida is uh, moved here from Syria, which he left uh, as war happened in that country. He made his way on foot to Turkey, on boat to Greece, uh, through the uh, UN camps in Greece. His application for asylum was ultimately accepted by Ireland, and he moved here, spent some time in Mosni, uh, 
before he left Syria, he qualified and had a short opportunity to practice as a dentist. And he is now making his way in, in Irish society. So I suppose I'm just going to throw it over. I might start with you, Kevin. I've explained the big idea that I associate with you with. What was your catalyst to move from software engineer into a path that uh, led you to chair the Dublin Cycling Campaign? Yeah, okay. So I suppose like I'd always been cycling from a young age. Uh, my mother was determined that I'd cycle to secondary school and she wouldn't be dropping me off all the time. Um, and then from there, I just kept cycling. And it was kind of, there was one week about five or six years ago that kind of really put me over the edge. Cycling in Dublin can be quite um, an aggressive or stressful experience. Uh, I think I'd quit cycling maybe two times up to that point and you just don't do it for a year and then you get fed up with public transport and you give it another go. But in the space of one week, I got clipped by a van while cycling down the, the Dublin Keys in, in Liffey, or sorry, the Liffey Keys in Dublin. Um, and then later that week, I found out that so, and then I went to the guards and tried to report the issue and they kind of just didn't really want to know about it because I didn't end up in hospital, um, which was kind of gut-wrenching. And then later that week, I learned that uh, OPW, on behalf of the guards, were going to build a brand new guard station on top of a planned Greenway cycle route in Dublin. And the combination of those two things kind of put me over the edge. I was like, okay, I need to do something about this. Uh, and I needed to uh, find some allies in this process. And the allies I found were in Dublin Cycling Campaign. Um, they're a group who've been kind of going for, I think it's 27 years now, um, who've seen a lot of change from when they started to what's happening now. Um, I don't think anyone was even talking about cycle lanes or infrastructure 27 years ago, and it's now kind of very accepted that if we want people to cycle, we need to make it safe, and we need when to make it comfortable. When you went searching for your own way to participate, they were your first port of call. Didn't Maybe for you, what was your first port of call that... Um, I guess my first... Um, I've always had a fascination with electricity and renewable energy. As a, as a child, when Santa would bring the ties for Christmas, I would whack them to pieces within a half an hour. <laughs> I, they were worried about me. They said, there's something wrong with this guy. I, they're still probably a little bit worried, but um, it wasn't the tie was what made it move and what made it go. So I've always had a fabulous fascination with electricity and how it's created and almost everything that moves really, I'm trying to turn it into power and trying to see how that could, you know, um, reduce costs and different things like that. And so what happened next that led you to sitting on the couch here beside me? Um, I suppose I got, I got an idea of sorts. Um, I was part of the, the Dingle um, um, pilot program for the ESB and um, was selected for that and was right down my alley. And that was being part of uh, uh, five ambassadors that were chosen to uh, try new technologies for the uh, ESB. We had uh, PV panels and we had a heat pump installed in the house and we had an EV vehicle as well for 18 months. At some level, you had travelled some of that journey already. I had indeed. We built our home in 2006, and uh, I put in a heat pump at that point into the house, and I couldn't go for a pint for months. The lads were saying, this guy's gone bananas. Yet. The, 
that weren't Heath's house. So um, 16 years later, it was still going out. It was on the slash legs, definitely, before the ESB came. But um, we were heating our home for uh, myself, Nicola, and the five children for something like 700, five, 500 to 700 uh, euros a year. And should another ordinary house would be a couple of fills of oil. So, like, you know, it was... Um, yeah, part of the journey. So, I'm a dairy farmer, um, and I'd always, you know, I was down on the, the milking one day, and, and um, I went into the plant room. Now, the plant room is where the motors and all the electricity stuff is deployed, and uh, there, the, the compressor for making the ice to cool the milk was... was the heat was pouring out the door off it, going out, right out the door, and I was saying, sure, that's very similar to the heat pump I have in the house. I wonder, could I do something with that? So I contacted the, the installer of the milker machine, and, and he said, yeah, there's a heat exchanger. It's about 3,500 euros. And I said, yeah, look, we'll go for that. Uh, he brought it on, and we, we put it in, and that was back in 2013. So every day since, I would have... 500 litres of, of water just from the cooling process of the milk at 55 degrees. You've innovated here with this sectoral sustainable energy community on the Dingle Peninsula, but if that was to be rolled out nationally, what is the value of that farming impact emissions-wise overall? On the energy conservation and electricity creation, alone, we would definitely take a third off of our national emissions annually. So if your figures were extrapolated across the country, it would be a third off? It would be a third off, something in the region of 800,000 tonnes of CO2 per annum in the dairy sector. We could reduce that by a third. So the policy landscape is looking for massive reductions in um, CO2 emissions. How soon, what is required to make it happen from just the energy point of view? If we create the energy, our grid can take it. So there needs to be quite a, if we, we're in a place here where Peninsula is going to need more electricity going forward. You are going to have more EV vehicles. You are going to have more heat pumps in the homes. We're going to need more power. We can't bring that in because we need to put up the big pylons and Tashka won't leave us to that. We need to create this power within, which I think we can, quite a lot of it. There's also potential for hydro. Uh, wind, not so much. County Development Plan says we can't, but there are sites, I believe there are a few. Policy, yeah. the government and the policymakers need to listen to us. They really do. And what's the block? What are specific policy blocks to you at the moment? So... Take, for instance, the anaerobic digestion. There's three plants in the south of Ireland. There's about 27 in the north. There were 200 new anaerobic digesters built in France in 2020. We're way behind. The thinking is way behind. Um, finance is needed for, to, you know, finance is needed for these things. Uh, an anaerobic digester in the region of maybe five, six million, you know. Um, they need to work with us. They need to work with the farming community. And what about other 
sustainable energy communities of like that farmers coming together in locality to make their own plans. What are you seeing activity-wise on that front? When you get a group like that together, the financial purchasing power of a group like that can be, you know, if properly controlled, you can have great financial purchasing power, whether it be we're now doing on-farm audits, so we'll know exactly, hopefully within a few months, how many kilowatts of PV we can deploy. We will go out, we will tender as a group for that. We can tender as a group for uh, the heat exchangers as well. Um, again, we need government supports and we need, we need the policy makers to, to listen to us, really. Um, this is a bottom-up approach. It's coming from the community, so um, hopefully they will. We, we can't tell them what to do, but we can make suggestions, and hopefully they will. Same goes for the biodiversity. It's long been on my mind, and, and we see we were up on that loan last um, Monday to an EIP conference, European Innovation Partnership. The farmers will work with, with um, you know, will work with the people. We will, like, I'd have so many ideas myself, and there's so many great ideas out there in the community of how to put uh, an EIP together. Fida, I suppose what you represent for us in your own story is the challenge to get into the mainstream of Irish society as you join our society here as quickly and as productively and as seamlessly as possible. I've explained that you spent time in Greece in that period, you were starting up schools to teach Syrian kids English. You were looking for opportunities with other dental professionals in Greece to offer dental services to, um, to, to other refugees and asylum seekers. Um, when you came to Ireland and your papers were processed, you'd been through the Mosni, you had joined a host family in Ireland who had offered to, to give you accommodation for a year to, to welcome you into Irish society. What did you meet then from an employment point of view and I suppose how did it catalyze your next action? Thank you very much, uh, Maureen. Uh, that's a very interesting question because after um, I got my papers from the Irish government, um, I, I was in Mosni, and Mosni is like um, um, asylum seeker or like accommodation center for asylum seekers in County Meath. So uh, after you get your paper, you're supposed to move out and to start your life. So I moved to Dublin uh, at that time, and as you said, I, I joined the family um, in Dublin. Um, and that was um, very important for a new arrival in the country to live with a local family because it's the most, um, I would say, important way or um, the best way for any person to navigate the system and to integrate, basically, uh, to get used to the society and to the culture as well. Uh, so through this kind of like network that I created, with the help of, of, of that family, I could secure my first job in Ireland, in Dublin, just a few months after I moved to Dublin. Um, and, I, you know, I didn't know that you... What was your first job? I worked in pennies. 
uh, on like um, sale assistant. Uh, but I didn't know at that time that you need a bank account to, to work. You know, because... Well, to get paid. Well, yeah, <laughs> to get paid. And this is, yeah, this is the point of, of uh, you know, working. So um, um, they, they gave me the job, so I went to the bank to get uh, a bank account, like. Um, and I, I was, uh, my, my request was declined. So they rejected me because um, I was Syrian. Fida, your your currently there, anybody can see it, uh, who, who resonates. You are wearing a UCC sweatshirt. You have been the recipient of uh, a highly contested scholarship program in UCC, the Quercus Scholarship, um, which is a massive achievement. And at the same time, I have to say, what we are doing as a, as a state is that our way to have you mainstream into society has turned out to be to repeat a dentistry degree. So you are in the second of five years of a second dentistry degree. Um, can you tell us about that story and I suppose your reflections on what we could do better to, to manage yeah. gaps and help people make that integration? It's uh, conflicting feelings when I think about, um, about my current situation. Uh, I'm proud um, in UCC, very happy. Uh, but on the other hand, it's, um, yes, it might be, um, I don't know, waste of time. And it should have not be like that, but... Um, how have you ended up repeating it's, a dentistry degree? Well, it's, it's, it started when I tried to find out how to register or how to practice, basically, in, in, in Ireland. And um, the only way was to, to, to register through the, 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 the Dental Council, which requests or requ requires um, for non-Europeans um, applicants to pass a dental exam. Um, I didn't get the chance to take the exam in the first place because there are lots of documents uh, you have to provide or present to the, to the dental council in order uh, for you, uh, or, or for them to let you take the exam. So, um, it was kind of like, it took like two years, you know, and uh, different documents, uh, many, uh, a few of them I couldn't provide because they are supposed to be, um, you know, brought from Syria. Um, so, at, uh, I don't know, at some stage I just gave up, you know. Um, and I, in the meantime, I was working in a dental practice and... Um, Not as a dentist? No, no, as uh, an assistant, dental assistant, yeah. So I was still... You it, didn't require papers for that? No, no, you don't, no, uh, you're not. You, you're not supposed to, or you are not um, required to register with the dental council in order to 
practice as a nurse or a dental assistant. But uh, so so I was I was in the field in the last you know. Uh, five years, you know, uh, I was working in the dental practice, in the environment, dealing with people, seeing, shadowing, so I was, I didn't cut that ties, you know. Why was it important to you to stay in that field? You know, that's that's very good question. Uh, I was asked this many times, like, why you are, like, why? Go and study something else if you want, like, change your career, like, why dentistry? And uh, yes, why you are a generalist? Like why you are I'm an not engineer? Sure. Don't worry about that. <laughs> no, I mean in general, like why you are an engineer? Like why you are working? Like you know why you are a businessman? Like why you are? Uh, everybody works in the field that they are comfortable in, like they are happy with, and they feel themselves. Um, um, they feel themselves. They fulfilled themselves, you know. Yeah. Uh, I studied dentistry. I worked uh, in this profession. I liked it. So, why not? You know. Um, so the other uh, option was for me to to repeat, you know. And uh, it was not easy to accept the idea that I need to repeat because. It's yeah. It's it's it doesn't make sense, right? And if 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 you told me when I arrived in Ireland, and the first year I arrived in Ireland, you need to repeat, I would say, no, thank you. Um, I'm going back <laughs> to Greece. You know, uh, no, um, I can't I cannot accept that idea. And um, the dentist who I was working with. Uh, told me when I finished, like, say, like, you give him my notice, like, you know, I'm going to Cork. Uh, he said, I'm happy for you, but look, if I was told to do that, I would not. I said, yes, you would not, of course, because you are now a dentist and you are taking this decision in this moment. But if you spend three years doing nothing and trying to uh, pursue something that might not happen, you might change your mind. Um, and accept this idea. And he said, oh, well, maybe, I don't know. And Fida, you know, I suppose, you know, I'm assuming that what you meant, what you met there was, you met a system that wasn't designed for your type of case. I suppose my, my larger point in this idea is that structurally, mm. we will have much higher levels of immigration in the future than Ireland has historically been used to or that our systems are, mm. are set up for. As you look across the world, you look at the Syrian immigrant experience in other societies, what do you think are ideas that Ireland could consider mm -hmm. that would get people like you mm -hmm. into the mainstream society quicker in a productive, fulfilling way? Um, the system is not designed for uh, refugees, yes, it's for sure. It's designed for immigrants. Uh, I'm, uh, if I was an immigrant, uh, I would be able to go back to my country in the meantime. So I, I come here to take the exam and go back, so I'm not, I'm practicing all the time. Um, the, the, the refugee, it's different, right? Um, there, 
there are standards in medical and dental. Which would be important to be absolutely, met. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Standard, high standards. I'm not saying these standards should be lowered. No, but there are alternatives. I am aware of different projects in different European countries, like in the UK, for example. Uh, there is a, a project called the Bridge Project, which is um, to help medical uh, refugees or you know in, in the medical refugees in the medical profession to re, re uh, register with the, with the with the British Medical Council and the Dental Council as well by preparing preparing them to take the exam and provided providing them with all supports uh, that uh, enable them to you know take the exam and pass the exam and one of that uh, support one of these supports is the English language yeah. because it's not spoken English it's kind of like also high standard of English Technical, yeah. and yes exactly and there is another project in Sweden as well done by the university it's not by you know it's not NGO it's university so basically they created an intensive um, uh, program for applicants who are going who are going to take the Swedish exam, um, you know, dental exam, uh, and this is meant to prepare them to take the exam. So, so there are different options. Thank you so much to Fida, Kevin, and Dinny for joining Warren in Dingle. On our next episode, I speak to the artist Aideen Barry about making art the end of the world. To make sure you don't miss that or any of our future episodes, subscribe now wherever you get your podcasts. This has been a Southwind Blows production. I'm Christopher Kassan. Thank you for joining us. I look forward to your company next time on Earth